Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. The base camp of Mount Everest is 5,000 feet. And base camp is, is essentially, if you're like, what, what, what is base camp though? It's the last camp that you set up before you approach the summit of a mountain. It's that final breather before you push into, into what's next. And, and I believe that for us as a church, where we are is significant. We shouldn't disparage it. We shouldn't pretend that, that the, the distance that we've come is not something to be proud of. But we should also look forward and say, God's got something new and exciting for us. Where we've been is incredible, but where we're going is, is something that, that's pulling us forward into the future. And so if this morning I talked about the idea of base camp, Uh, This evening, I want to talk about the idea of striking camp. If you don't know what that means, I'll explain it in a moment. But uh, first, let's let's turn to the Bible. Uh, If you have your Bibles with me, why don't we read Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 24 to 28. Uh, It it says this, By faith, Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptian royal house. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than an opportunistic soft life of sin with the oppressors. He valued suffering in the Messiah's camp far greater than Egyptian wealth because he was looking ahead anticipating the payoff. By an act of faith, he turned his heel on Egypt, indifferent to the king's blind rage. He had his eyes on the one no one can see and kept right on going. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you so much for for this moment tonight as we come together as your people under your word. God, I thank you that that we have said that this is Dream Sunday, but we're not inventing something. We're not coming out with some branding idea, but we are engaging with with who you are. God, that you are a God of dreams, that you're a God of visions, that that you're a God who who pulls us forward, that that your word says that in, in these times that young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. God, that you have something for each and every one of us something pulling us forward into how we can be involved in your mission here on earth, to bring something of of the kingdom of heaven into this world. God, I pray that as I speak, it wouldn't be my ideas, but that you would speak directly into hearts and minds, that you would meet us, that we would be changed as a result of encountering you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to suggest that striking camp is the worst part of camping. Quick show of hands, who knows what I mean when I say striking camp, right? It's a bit of, I was in scouts, that's how you do the scouts thing. So there are some words that I say that people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh yeah, if you weren't like a nerd and in scouts like me, you wouldn't know. Right, striking camp is essentially when you take down your camp, right? So when you arrive at the campground on holiday, you set up camp. And then when you leave, you strike camp and you pack down your camp. And if you're a good, tidy Kiwi, you leave it all just as it was. No rubbish, right? It's all pristine and perfect. We all know, obviously we all, we all do that, yeah? And, and setting up a tent especially one of those old canvas heavy-duty ones, is not a fun time, right? Anyone ever set up a tent before? Yeah, leave your hand up if you enjoyed the process. Yeah, there are some masochists about, well, like, yeah, I love pain, I love it, it's frustrating. Maybe you've just set up a dome tent. Those are easy, those are amazing. But setting up uh, tents as, as a kid, that was how we went on holiday, was we'd go camping, was a frustrating experience. But setting up camp was always kind of tolerable, right? Because you knew that once you'd set up the tent, you had a holiday to engage in. It was exciting. You were like, oh man, this is annoying. The, the pole keeps on falling over. Dad's yelling at me. But once we get there, we're going to be able to relax. We're going to be on holiday. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. But striking camp is just as hard. Taking down the tent is just as hard as putting it up, but there's nothing good on the other end of it, right? 
You're like, we have to take down this tent and then we have to get in the car and drive all the way home. And who knows, the trip home is always, it feels much longer than the trip there. There's no anticipation. You're just like, now we're going back. When you were me, you're, now we're going back. We're going to have to go back to school, right? Like holidays are amazing and, and just packing up and, and leaving this, this moment is not so exciting. But who knows, you have, to, you have to pack up camp, right? You have to strike camp. It'd be weird, Yeah. Imagine if, if you're like, oh, Jono, and so, so where do you live? I'll be like, oh, campground just down the road. Like, okay, like on holiday. But like, no, 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 we set, up, we set up camp there like 15 years ago. And I just never really wanted to leave. So I'm just, I've just been living under canvas, living in a tent for the last 15 years. Who knows, you'd give me like a little bit of like a, you know that response where you, you don't want to ask any more questions? And so you just give the like, ah, mm, cool, right. You know, they're like, I don't want to know any more about that because that seems odd, but I don't want to offend you because then we're getting into a longer conversation. You'd give me that sort of a response. Who knows, packing down camp isn't fun, but it's something that we, we need to do. You can't stay at camp. See, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it recounts the life of Moses. And Moses had to leave Egypt. But, but for Moses, Egypt was comfortable. Hebrews tells us that he had to refuse the privileges of the Egyptian royal house. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than an opportunistic, soft life of sin with the oppressors. See, I want to suggest, and I suggested this morning, that we need to leave base camp, which is hard, especially if we're thinking about base camp in, in, kind of the, the, in, in respect of climbing a mountain. Right, Climbing a mountain, going to the summit, that's not an easy journey. And base camp, in, in, in comparison, has proper insulated tents, right? If you're up there in the snow, it's got real food, it's got shelter, it's safe. And in comparison, the path to the summit is cold and dangerous and unknown. But you can't push to the summit, you can't go to what God is calling you to if you stay at base camp. Let me put it this way, you can't stay at base camp and make the summit. Just like Hebrews would tell us that Moses could not be an Egyptian and an Israelite. He couldn't do both. He had to make a decision. He had to choose one or the other, right? For those of us who, who are trying to remember when we watched the Prince of Egypt and we can't quite bring the full plot to, to mind, Moses is an Israelite baby who was born in a time when the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt. And, and his mother, when, when Pharaoh is, is enslaving and, and killing a bunch of Egyptian babies, instead of having him subjected to what Pharaoh was doing, she puts him in a basket right, and puts him out on the river. He floats down the river, and the, the basket with this baby Moses is, is found by a princess within Pharaoh's royal house. She can't have her own children, and so she rescues this baby from the river, and she raises him as her own. And so uh, Moses, who is born as a slave Israelite, is raised as a royal Egyptian. And, and so Moses, he comes to know that he's an Israelite, and yet he's still treated as an Egyptian. All of the Egyptians think he's an Egyptian, but he starts to see his people and they're in slavery. They're subjugated. They're not being treated well. And something starts to rise up within him that says, no, this is not how my people are meant to live. God starts to, to spark a dream within him. And there comes a moment in which he has to choose, am I going to continue to live this soft, comfortable life as a prince of Egypt? Or am I going to do something about it and embrace my God-given identity as an Israelite? See, I want to suggest that that is not just a moment that Moses has, but each and every one of us have a moment in our life, ongoing moments in our life where we have to choose, who will I be? Will I live the soft, easy life of sin, or will I live a life that matters but is going to be considerably harder? 
Will I live a life where I camp out at base camp and things are easy and comfortable? Or will I break camp, strike camp, and move towards what God has for me? Will I be an Egyptian or will I be an Israelite? Essentially, I feel like what God asks us to do is, is God asks us to give up more of ourselves. Who's psyched about that? Yeah, you're like, yeah, God, some more. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. I'm very comfortable with giving up more of me. That, that's exactly what I love to do. But it's interesting. Jesus has an interesting uh, interaction with, with every disciple. I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you go back through the Bible, every time that Jesus calls one of his disciples, this close group of people who follow him, who, who don't just listen to what he says, but, but are active with him in, in his mission to change the world, he calls them to follow him. Because I think sometimes what we can forget is that Jesus drew a crowd. Jesus was interesting, right? A, a few weeks ago, there was the, the kind of the Buskers Festival uh, here, in, here in Christchurch. Did anyone see any street performers? Yeah? Uh, we happened to kind of wander upon one, and I was reminded of the difference between a busker and a street performer. Yeah, like buskers are, are fantastic. They'll play some tunes. You'll have a good old time. But street performers, like, they get up on the, the high stilts, right? And then they get someone to ch start chucking them like chainsaws or, or knives and they're juggling them and they're breathing fire. And it's just a whole nother level, right? It takes a special type of person, I think, to, to be a street performer. You have to have some sort of like inability to understand that you could get hurt and things could go wrong. But it's interesting when you watch a street performer, they draw a crowd, don't they? A crowd kind of comes around and they watch. But one of the things that I found interesting about a street performer is most times the crowd that a street performer starts with is not the same people that the crowd that the street performer finishes with, yeah? Kind of what, what generally happens is people kind of wander up and they're like, oh, wow, is he going to drop the knife on his head? They watch for like 30 seconds and they're disappointed because he didn't. Oh, he didn't drop the knife on his head. And so they wander off to go continue their shopping. And then someone else comes along and they're like, oh, is he going to drop the knife on his head? didn't, right, we're weird people, it's weird, but that's what you're going to watch, and you're like, no, nothing else happened, that was interesting enough, and you wander off, and it's kind of, you know, that, that crowd just kind of cycles through, and by the end of it, the crowd that's watching is totally different than the crowd that arrived, you know, Jesus drew a crowd, people kind of wandered up, and they're like, man, who is this guy, I hear that he's doing miracles, he's feeding people, he, he's speaking some, some amazing kind of ideas, this is incredible, and they, they'd show up for a couple of speeches, they'd, they'd follow him around for a little bit, and then they'd be like, oh, I got something to eat, had a bit of an inspiring word. I guess I'm going to go back to my life now. And they'd leave. And a new crowd would come and hear something, and, and then they would, they would leave. But what Jesus did with his disciples is he challenged them to stay. Hey, don't just come for a word. Don't just come for a meal. Don't just come to have your need met. Don't just come for an idea. But go from being believers to disciples, Right, in the Hebrew tradition, disciples essentially means the person covered in their rabbi's dust. A rabbi was a teacher. Jesus was considered a, a rabbi. And a disciple was someone who walked so closely behind the teacher that the dust that their sandals kicked up would land on their clothes, that they were dusty because they followed the rabbi. They weren't just sitting and getting a free feed, but they were following after Jesus and working with him in the changes that he was bringing about in the world. But who knows? There's another side other than getting dusty to following, yeah? To follow, you also have to do something else. To follow someone, you have to leave somewhere, yeah? If I was to say to us, hey guys, follow me, let's leave the auditorium and let's finish the sermon under the tree outside. 
not going to do that because it would mean I was going to have to shout and it was going to be hard to speak to you and a bunch of things that just logistically it's not a good idea. I thought about it, right? But, but who knows, if I was going to get you to do that, to follow me outside, you would have to leave the auditorium, yeah? You'd have to leave the, the theater that we're in. To follow somebody means that you can't stay where you were. You can't stay in the spot that you're in. And so what Jesus means when he says, follow me to the disciples, is everything else in your life is going to have to change. This is not something you can add on and just a little addition to everything else, just a cherry on top. This is going to fundamentally change your life. To follow Jesus, to become disciples, their lives had to change dramatically. You know, the the first example that we have in the Bible of of God calling someone into more is, is God's call to Abraham. Right? And, and the first time that, that Abraham meets God face to face, almost immediately, God essentially says to him, leave the familiar culture in which you're prominent and where you're comfortable. Leave your, your homeland where everyone knows you. Leave your comfort zone and go to some place that I'm not even going to tell you about before you get there. And you might say, oh, well, that's just extreme, right? Like Abraham, father Abraham and many sons. Like he's a special case, father of a nation. Like that's just, that's just Abraham. But no, the, the first time when God meets Moses, our, our hero for the day, when God meets Moses face to face, Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, leave your comfortable life. I'll circle back to that one in a moment. But also in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees God and he's overwhelmed. He, he says to God, God, I feel like I'm coming apart. I feel like I'm, I'm coming undone with just all of who you are. For the first time, he's seen the glory, the grandeur of God. And, and God says to him immediately, God says to him, hey, I've got a job for somebody. Now, this job, I have a group of people over here, and I need someone to go and minister to them. I need someone to go and speak to them, to preach to them. But these are very, very hard-hearted people, and they'll never listen. Right, like whoever I'm going to send to speak to these people, they're going to go for years and years and years and years, and no one will ever listen. In fact, they're going to relentlessly laugh at you. They're going to scorn you. They're going to reject you. They will continually resist you. But I need someone to go. And Isaiah's response is, God, here I am, send me, I'll go. See, I want to suggest that in the Bible, every time someone sees God for who he truly is, every time someone encounters God, they end up leaving where they are. They end up leaving their safety and security, setting out for more. I want to suggest that every time someone encounters God, they strike camp, leaving what is comfortable and familiar in pursuit of what is next. And look, I, I do want to say we can stay at base camp, right? Like Moses and Abraham, they didn't need to pursue God. They, 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 they were happy and, and satisfied. Moses, he could have stayed in Egypt, accepted back his royalty, living his princely life. Or Moses later on in his life, he could have stayed with Jethro, right? Avoiding the burning bush, living his, his new comfortable life after his old one had been destroyed. Abraham could have stayed with his family where he was comfortable and he knew how things worked, never setting out. But they left base camp and moved into more because God gave them a dream. See, I I said uh, this morning that we need to remember that God isn't a location, He's a person. That maybe what God promised us previously is not what God is promising us now. And if we camp in a previous promise, it can all too quickly and too easily become a present prison. Something that traps us and ensnares us because it was what God called us to, but it's no longer where God is calling us. And we need to move with God, not stay camped in what we thought that he was doing. God keeps on changing. See, and and so for that climb, for that setting out in pursuit of a call, following the the dream that God has in your heart, to do that, it takes courage, yeah? 
to live a life on mission, to live a life pursuing what God has for us, that's not something that's easy to do. It takes courage. And, and it's going to look different for each and every one of us. Right? Something that is courageous for me might not be courageous for you. Something that's courageous for you might not be courageous for me. We can't look at what our lives are like and be like, I'm, I'm courageous, you're not, because I'm doing this and you're not. It's different for each and every one of us in the different stages and places that we are. We act in accordance to our convictions, what God is telling us to do. Take Moses, for example. Courage looks different to, for Moses at different stages in his life. In, in Exodus chapter 2, I kind of already uh, mentioned this, but, but Moses is young. Right? And he's just found out that he is not just an Egyptian prince, but he is also an Israelite. He's a son of Israel, and his people are enslaved. His people are being subjugated and oppressed, and, and some indignation starts to rise up within him. One day he's out and amongst the, the Israelite slaves, and there's an Egyptian guard, a slave master, who is brutally beating an Israelite slave. And something wells up within him that says, no, this is wrong. These people should be treated as people. They're being treated like animals. And, and a rage overcomes him. He kills the Israelite, the, sorry, the, the Egyptian guard. He's bold and, and he's courageous and he responds to injustice, but maybe not in a wise way. Right? But, but Moses, the reason that he responds, and I think the fact that he responds is good. Maybe the way in which he responds is a message for another day. But the, the fact that he responds is because, number one, he knew who he was. Right? He realizes, no, no, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. These are my people. This is my shared struggle. See, I believe that to have a dream, to, to push out in what God has for us, we have to, first of all, know who we are. Secondly, he was observant. He knew who he was, and he knew what was going on and how wrong it was. But I think so often God's like, I've got a dream for you. And we're like, God, I just don't feel like there's any dream for me. And God's like, would you open your eyes and look? See the things that frustrate you about the world. See the places in which you're like, man, there is iniquity or, or there is injustice or there are people who need loving and supporting and something aches within you. That ache is given to you by God, but you need to observe it to be aware of it. Moses is observant. He sees the injustice. And then finally, he knows who he is. He sees the injustice and he allows that to motivate him to action. Now again, we won't go into whether it was right or wrong of him to kill the, the Egyptian slave master, right? But he responds. He doesn't just let his discontent stay as discontent. He doesn't start to come up with like a 35-point plan and be like, then maybe I can do this. Maybe you should have planned a little bit more. But he doesn't let the, the paralysis of analysis set in, right? Anyone else do that? You're like, I'm going to do something. The first thing I'm going to do is come up with a comprehensive plan about the thing that I'm going to do. And you reflect back and you're like, I never really did that thing. I just came up with a really good plan, right? And making the plan felt enough like action that I kind of just stopped there. Right? I think sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're doing something when really we're just appeasing our own guilty conscience. Right? He knew who he was, he saw a need, and he acted. He acts courageously, and it, it doesn't go according to plan. Right? He acts with good motivation to save a slave's life, but he kills an Egyptian, and he's persecuted as a result of his action. And so he flees. And I, I think that's probably safe to assume that he thought that's it. Right, I've, I've ruined it. I've ruined my, my one opportunity. I felt like I was a person called to bring freedom to my people. And now I've squandered the position that I was born into. God set all this up. Had me put in a basket, go down the river, right? There was a beautiful song that was sung. Do you remember The Prince of Egypt? Great movie. Best movie of all time. 
and I had this moment, I could have affected change for my people and I acted brashly and I've ruined it. I'm never going to be used to bring freedom. And so he runs away, he, he flees. I wonder, did he need someone to, to stop him in that moment and say, it's not all over, God can still use you. He didn't have anyone around him. I, I wonder, did he need someone to put courage in him, to encourage him? I, I wonder what would it have looked like if Moses at that stage in his life had had Aaron or, or her or Joshua with him, these friends that, that he would find later on in life who would support him, who would hold up his arms, who would say, hey, come on, we're in this together. Your dream is my dream. My dream is your dream. See, I want to encourage you just on the side that our dreams are linked that the dream that you have, what God has placed in you to do is not just for you to do alone, but your dream is related to the dream of your friends and your family, that as we dream and act together, something more than the sum of our parts starts to happen, right? Our dreams are shared. They're a group project. And so he has to flee Egypt. And so he goes to this place named Midian. And there he finds some distant relatives and he finds a wife and he gets a good job. And I believe that young Moses teaches us that, that sometimes in life we'll, we'll act brashly. Sometimes in life God will give us a dream and we'll be like, this is it, I'm sitting out, I'm, I'm doing it, it's going to be amazing. And we try and sometimes we see some wins and sometimes we get a little bit knocked off our feet and, and it hurts a little bit and we're like, oh, that, that did not turn out how I wanted it to turn out. And I think sometimes as a result we can question the dream. God, did you really want me to do that? Did, did you really, was this really from you or was it just me trying to manufacture something to happen? I believe that, that more often than not, the dream is from God. Sometimes our execution uh, misses something to start off with, but, but God is a God of a second and a third and a fourth chance. He's not done with us, as we can see from the story of Moses. See, so from young Moses, we learn that we can give it a go. We can take some ground. We'll have some knocks. We'll have some losses. And then what? Well, like I said, Moses goes and he finds a wife gets a good job, manages some sheep, works for his father-in-law. Life's kind of good. He gets kind of comfortable again. It's not the Egyptian palace, but, but maybe it has less trappings of comfort and more trappings of, of, of significance. And then in Exodus chapter 3, God calls Moses to go back to Egypt. Moses is out one day looking after his sheep, and he sees a, a bush that's on fire. He's like, well, that's dangerous in the desert. It's going to burn up all of the, the grass that my sheep are going to eat, I'm assuming. Or he's just like, hey, there's a burning bush. That looks interesting. Or he's like, hey, there's a burning bush, and it's just continually burning. It should have burnt out by now. What's going on? Probably the third one, Bible would suggest. Either way, he ends up going to the bush. So like, what's going on? He comes to the bush, and all of a sudden, God starts to speak to him. You are on holy ground. Take off your sandals. Moses is like, oh, man, this is big. This is significant. I thought that God was done with me. I thought that I'd used up all my chances. God, what's going on? And God starts to speak to him. I want to use you to do what you always thought you were meant to do. I want to use you to bring freedom to your people. You have not lost your chance. I want to use you to speak freedom, to, to bring liberty to an oppressed people. And Moses is scared. Moses protests. Because this isn't young Moses anymore. He's been around the track a little bit. He's got some skin in the game. He's got family who rely on him. There's going to be some, some, some weight that comes with accepting this burden. He's not just young and brash and can act easily anymore. And he's got experience. Instantly into his mind jumps, well, I remember the last time I tried to free the people. I got kicked out of Egypt. I got thrown out of my family. I, I, was, I was made to, to, to be on the run. I, I, I don't know, God. I don't know if, you know, you might be good, but I don't know if I'm, I'm ready or good enough for this. 
What happens if you send me and I stuff it up again? Moses is like, I've got, a, I've got a stammer. I can't even really speak clearly. And you're asking me to go and speak to Pharaoh, to go and declare that, to argue for the freedom of, of my people. How can I do that on my own? Right, Moses remembers what happens last time he said yes, and, and, and he's gun shy as a result. He tried and it didn't work out like he thought it would. He, he saw liberty for his people and instead he had to flee for his life. Do you want to suggest that, that maybe today you, you can relate to that feeling? That you, you had a dream, you tried, maybe it didn't work out how you, you thought that it was going to. You believed in someone and they let you down. You gave and, and nothing grew. And, and maybe you feel like today God's asking you to go again. And he knows, Moses knows, it's not guaranteed to go how he wants it to go. But he encounters God and he's called again and he argues for a bit, but he relents and he trusts God because he's not doing it in his strength, he's relying on God. So as I get the band up, I'm almost done. See, maybe today you feel like that idea of base camp, that rest before the summit, you get it. Like, yeah, no, no, I've, I've climbed a bit of a mountain and I got to a point and I started to rest. I needed to rest and that's good. It's good to rest when we need it. But I want to suggest that we don't just rest, we recover. And important in the idea of recovery is recovery is for something. We don't recover just to be recovered. We recover so that we can take action again. What are you recovered for? What is God calling you to? See, I want to finish today by leaving you with a story of one of my personal heroes. Her name is Harriet Tubman, and we'll put up a, a picture of her on the, the screen behind me. Harriet Tubman uh, was born in 1822 in Dorchester County in Maryland. Harriet was born into slavery. In 1849, Harriet escaped from Maryland to, to Philadelphia, a, a journey that took her almost three weeks with no shelter, no food, and slave hunters incessantly searching for her for the $300 reward upon her head, which was a fortune at the time. However, upon her reaching freedom in Philadelphia, where, where she was no longer a slave but declared to be a free person, she began to think back of her family trapped in Maryland in slavery. She started to think of her father and her mother. She started to think of her brothers and her sisters and her friends who were still in slavery, still in the position that she had escaped from. And so Harriet began to work. She began to save money until in 1850, a year later, she returned to the place that she had fled from to rescue her family. Slowly, over 11 years, Harriet repeatedly returned, making 19 trips back into slave country to free people, guiding around 300 slaves to freedom as a conductor on the Underground Railroad. Then, when the American Civil War broke out in 1861, Harriet initially worked as a cook and nurse, but quickly became an armed scout and a spy. Right? This lady was not staying in the kitchen. She's like, i got some things to do. And so in 1863, as the first woman to lead an armed expedition in the war, she guided the Combahee River raid, which liberated more than 700 slaves in South Carolina. See, I tell you this story because in 1849, Harriet found her freedom. But when she died in 1913, she had helped to free more than 1,000 others. Do you know what Harriet's nickname was? you know what they called her in the Underground Railroad? Moses. Because she bought freedom. See, I want to suggest that, that we are called to be Harriet. That we are called to be a Moses. Not just recipients of love, but participants in sharing it. Pushing out into more for others. See, our dream as a church is, is to equip and empower each and every one of us to be on mission for God. 
that we would all be Moses in our lives, that we would all be people who bring freedom to those that only we can reach, that there are people who will only hear the gospel from your lips, who will only know the love of God if you show it to them, that there are people who it is your mission to love. And we don't know who those people are, so we should just love on the chance that maybe this is someone that I'm the only person who can reach. Our dream as a church is that whatever field you're in, whatever your passion or your call, that you would be extending the kingdom of heaven, that we would be a church with such expansive energy that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.